a wild, wild crowd here this morning. So, hey, um, <clears throat> if you just turn on the news or open X or whatever they're calling things now, we live in a world where mass protests are becoming the norm, the likes of which we haven't really seen in our country on a regular level, maybe since the 1960s with the Civil War, um, Civil War, <laughs> Civil Rights protests, 1960s, not 1860s, and the Vietnam War protests as well that were all over our country. A few years ago, there were multiple mass riots around, um, uh, marches and riots around our country surrounding the death of George Floyd. You remember a lot of those images? In recent weeks, we've seen multiple mass rallies around our country, around the world, over the increasing tensions between the Palestinian and Israeli peoples. So what does that mean for us in terms of the kinds of people that we need to be as we see these shifts in our society? I believe that there's an increasing need for courage required to live in a growing world of hostility where it seems like the louder voices win and people routinely shout down anyone that has an opposing view. So what does courage look like in the face of such growing hostility and how do we reflect God in a way as we engage our current world? Because it can get easy to be persuaded by the passions of a particular group of people on any topic. Just ask the German Christians in the 1930s who swore their allegiance to Hitler. If we aren't grounded in the truth and guided by the word of God, of Jesus's way of being in the world, but not of the world. So today we're going to take our cues on courage from a man named Daniel. And Daniel was, uh, as a teenager, he was in Jerusalem when his people were overrun by the Babylonian Empire about 605 BC. And Daniel had grown up as kind of part of a noble elite, very well educated, and the Babylonians saw uh, a talented young guy like him and his peers, and they thought, man, we could make these guys really useful for us in our new empire. So they hauled off Daniel and a bunch of his friends to a, a foreign capital. And this was a really disorienting time for the Jews where they're definitely wondering, has God abandoned us? He sent us off into this polyistic culture with all these various gods and idols to worship and, and everything that was really an affront to the Jewish faith. And in the middle of this confusing new world, Daniel starts to find favor with the foreign kings. So I want you to open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6. Today it's page 1273. Daniel 6, page 1273. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. So Darius had just become the new king. It says, It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. 
Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So as we begin this scene, Daniel has now risen to become one of three overseers of all of the different governors of the Babylonian Empire. He's come a long way since those teenage years in a foreign land. And initially, if you read the story, if you've read it before, he kind of gains a lot of favor from the kings because he's a dream interpreter. And so on a couple of occasions, Daniel's brought before the king and he's able to explain some dreams in a way that, that earns him some favor. But over the years, it's, it's become increasingly more about his integrity and his character and, and just being a trusted administrator that has this current king, Darius, considering making Daniel basically number two in the country. Reminds us a lot of Joseph back in Egypt. And the other government officials, as you can guess, are getting a little bit jealous of Daniel's quick ascent and the, the influence that he has. And the fact that he happens to be a Jew doesn't help either. So they set out on what they hope will be kind of a smear campaign to see if they can find any skeletons in Daniel's closet to turn public opinion against him. But in verse 4, it tells us that after an exhaustive search, that they can't find any dirt on Daniel. Daniel had a track record of being faithful to God that goes all the way back to his first days there. I want you to turn back to Daniel chapter 1 just to give you an idea of his character. So Daniel and his, his party were assigned, it says up in verse 5, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And then down in verse 8, it says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. So Daniel refuses to eat food that would have been against the dietary restrictions of a faithful Jew, would have made them unclean. And he trusted that by honoring God in that, that God would show him favor and take care of him. You see, courage and character go hand in hand. Could the same be said for you and I? So if, if, if people did an exhaustive search on our life, how long or hard would they have to look before they started to find inconsistencies in our character and in our integrity? But now they're getting desperate, so they actually hatch a plan to use Daniel's integrity and his faith against him. So let's look at verse 6. It says, so these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed 
that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. So the better translation of verse 6 um, from the King James Bible, Bible says this, they thronged before the king. So it's this image of kind of this mass, uh, loud mob coming before the king, demanding action. And they were pushing Darius to do something by shouting loudest. And they were also lying, saying that everyone had agreed to this um, when obviously Daniel never would have. And they're trying to flatter this new king, trying to tell him how amazing he is and and using this system, so the Medes had this system where if they made laws, it was binding. You could not alter them. You had to follow through on whatever it was, no matter what. So King Darius gives in to the flattery and the peer pressure because his character was lacking. What was interesting about the law they made is that they knew it would work against Daniel. They knew it would. Why? <laughs> Because his spiritual practices and his spiritual life were known by everyone. Everyone knew how Daniel operated in his day-to-day life. If people watched our life, what practices would they take notice of that defined who we are? If they watched us on a daily basis... So let's look at verse 10 now. It says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Hmm. I love the way verse 10 starts. Because it tells us that Daniel had full knowledge of exactly what the consequences were going to be for the actions that he was about to do. Some people can do some things that um, seem courageous um, when they do kind of crazy stuff, but really that falls more in the category of just being reckless. And then there are those, those that kind of understand the full consequences of what I'm about to do and what it might mean for me that I would say are more courageous, right? One of the cool things I learned in studying this week is the meaning of Daniel's name. So in Hebrew, his name means God, my judge, right? Not anybody else, not any man, not any king, but God alone. So he had a, a name to live up to, but it, it really adds a lot of context to the story, doesn't it? So in full knowledge of the consequences of his actions, Daniel heads to his house, heads upstairs to the room where he always prays, and does what he always does, prays to the God of Israel. And Daniel trusted that God was bigger than the rules of man. 
And this was a guy who'd seen the hand of God protect him for decades as he lived as a faithful Jew in a foreign context. Back in chapter 3, most of you guys have heard the story of, of the three guys in the furnace. These were friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. And he saw the way God had delivered them when they wouldn't bow down to the king at that time, Nebuchadnezzar, who made this golden image and said, you all have to bow down and worship it alone. And they said, we won't bow down. So they put him into this fiery furnace. And Daniel was watching all of this happen. And he saw the way another was in the fire, as we just sing, right? With them, protecting them, seeing them through. And this, this faith and this intervention by God had such an impact on the king at that time that he actually promoted those three in the government. And not only did he do that, but he made an edict that promised the death penalty to anyone that spoke poorly of the God of Israel. I can't imagine the impact that that story made on Daniel and how it impacted his courage as we get to chapter 6 today. So I want to ask us a, a question. It's just kind of a fun, a fun question. Is Whose act of courage has inspired you in life? Whose act of courage has inspired you in life? It could be somebody in your life. It could be just a hero, uh, an athlete, a world leader, whoever. Is there anybody that's been encouraging for you, has inspired courage by their courage? My father. Your father? Okay. Because he did what? Okay, he smuggled Bibles into and like communist countries, is that what you said? Yeah, smuggled Bibles into communist countries. Yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> Came back to tell the story, right? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> who else? Yeah. There was a woman who came and sat in a cell with me and took me to my first NA meeting. Mm. And she saved my life, but it took a lot of courage for her to come in there and talk to me at that point in time because mm. I was going yeah so he said when he was in prison there was a woman that came in and, and took him to his first na meeting that really changed his life that took a lot of courage for her to come in there at that time yeah you were kind of an honorary guy at one time weren't you randy yeah <laughs> who else Who else has been inspired by someone's courage? Yeah. Catherine Switzer. Who? Catherine Switzer. Okay. She's the female who ran the Boston Marathon, and that was only supposed to be males. Yeah. Yeah, the, the woman who ran the first uh, Boston Marathon when only men were supposed to run it. Yeah, I just read about that story not long ago. So, yeah. Right? We all have these different things. Sometimes they're small things, you know? I mean, I learned a lot watching my mom struggle to, to raise me, you know, um, working uh, every day. A lot of things that she went through in life to give me opportunities to be the person that I am today took a lot of courage at times, and I was inspired by that. We all have some different people that we look up to in our life. But to really appreciate the power of this story that we're looking at today, it's important for us to grasp what was at stake Right? The king had already let Daniel know, like, my intentions are to raise you up to this position. Daniel had a lot to lose. 
I'm sure that that promotion came with increased salary. Obviously, it came with increased power. And Daniel could have came up for all, with all kinds of rationalizations, right? Because the rule of the law was just for 30 days. He could have just said, you know what? I don't think God will mind if I just skip praying for 30 days and then just pick it right back up next month. Imagine the wheels turning like, oh man, think of all the good I could do for the Jews if I'm in this position, right? I could protect my people in some amazing ways. It's tempting, isn't it? And we're masters at justifying the chinks in our character armor, aren't we? Of finding loopholes to do what our selfish hearts desire. Even if deep down we know it's not ultimately God's best for us. This quote by McLaren really caught my eye this week. He said, unless you are prepared to be in the minority, and now and then to be called narrow, fanatic, and to be laughed at by men because you will not do what they do, but abstain and resist, then there is little chance of your ever making much of your Christian profession. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? I want you guys to look back at verse 10. Read it again. What do you notice about his posture and his routine? What do you notice? Yeah. He left his windows open. Yeah, like he's saying, come and get me. Right? Nothing to hide. He didn't go down to his cellar <laughs> in the dark. Yeah. He got down on his knees, position of surrender. Yeah, got down on his knees, his posture of surrender. What else? He gave thanks. He gave thanks, even though his circumstances were a little precarious at the moment, right? Yeah. So the things that stood out to me as I looked at that is one, kind of like Will was saying, that he was defiant. <laughs> he went right to the room where they knew that he would go to pray. And he kept the windows open so they could see him. And it says that he faced Jerusalem instead of Babylon. Secondly, he was disciplined. He prayed three times a day every day, right? And, and this was a guy who was incredibly powerful, right? Highly connected, probably had an extremely important, busy, consuming, tiring, long hours type of job. But he didn't, didn't allow the demands of this world to get in the way of his priorities, you see it played out in movies and in our real life all the time, right? Is the more responsibility we get, the higher up the corporate ladder we climb. Sometimes the things that matter most can kind of get pushed to the margins and the edges because we just don't have time if we're going to keep up. John Piper said it like this. He said, if what God thinks matters most, then you consult him most. 
That's, that's really simple, but pretty profound as well. Who are the voices that we seek about what the right thing to do is? Thirdly, Daniel was on his knees, as we mentioned, giving proper respect to the holiness of God. And finally, we also mentioned he was thankful through the good and the bad, even though he knew that his current actions could cost him his life. So what does all this have to do with courage? As I reflected on this story, I thought, you know, often courage isn't found in the moment of crisis. Courage is instilled in a thousand small moments of faithfulness and choices that we make about what matters most, about what's preeminent in our life. And then action flows from those deeply embedded and rehearsed rituals and narratives. Courage is ultimately about character. And so if you want to be courageous, be disciplined in your daily life. Investing your heart and mind on storing up truth and practicing humility and community with like-minded believers. You see, people fail to be courageous in key moments of history because they haven't prepared their character to be able to respond in courageous ways. Only a small number of Christians in Germany were courageous enough to oppose the Nazi leadership. Most fell in line with Hitler because it meant position and title and influence and protection. Others knew that saying, staying true to the lordship of Christ was the only God-honoring path, no matter what the consequences were. And so one of my heroes of the faith, a pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he started uh, a, another branch that wouldn't yield to him called the Confessing Church. And he met with these men to go, kind of conspire about how are we going to stay true to God in the midst of overwhelming odds against us. And eventually that stance cost him his life in a concentration camp. And here's what he had to say about standing up in the face of evil and opposition. Bonhoeffer said, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. So what are we doing today and the next day and the next to prepare our character to respond courageously for the right things in this world? Because guys, I think our moment is coming. I don't think it's going to be as easy to be a Christian in America much longer. And there are going to be some things where we're going to have to decide, are we going to go along with the crowd, the voices, or are we going to stay true to God 
no matter what that demands of us. And when the moment comes, it's not what we're going to do in the moment. It's going to be do. It's going to be what are we doing in all the moments leading up to the moment to prepare ourselves for that time because it's coming. Just keep reading the Bible. Let's finish this familiar story this morning just so we can wrap up how things go down. So starting in verse 12, we're going to read here for a little bit. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, and or to the decree you put in writing. He still, he still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, yeah, we're just lying around in here. Oh, I'm just kidding. Sorry. May the king live forever. My God said his angel and the shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I have found, was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and the peoples of every language and all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. So we see the story ending kind of the same way the story ended in chapter 3 with this foreign king acknowledging the power, the supremacy, the divinity of the God of Israel. 
And this is an example of this concept in Scripture you'll find it really just in the world called common grace. It means that God can use anyone or anything, including a pagan foreign king, to declare the holiness and majesty of his name. He will use anyone and anything to do that. Our courage inspires others to take notice of the God that we serve and to get curious because we're not giving in to the loudest voices of the day, but we are standing our ground on our beliefs. As followers of Christ, we're living life, as the screen says, in the shadow of his wings. I love this beautiful reminder from David in Psalm 63. He says this, On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. As followers of Christ, we ought to be the most courageous people in the world because of who holds us. Right? As God said, do not fear, for I am with you. Being with God so that he can remind us of these truths is the key to character and courage. In the book of Acts, Peter and John, the disciples, are out in the streets of Jerusalem healing the sick and boldly proclaiming the good news of this recently resurrected Messiah, Jesus. And the Jewish leaders who had just put Jesus on the cross arrest them and bring them in have them stand before him and, and declare by what power they are making these claims. And they responded with courage and boldness, knowing their lives were on the line. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, Luke writes, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You see, Jesus made them extraordinary. And that's what happens to all of us when we spend time with him. So as we wrap up this series and head into communion time today, I want to leave us with just a few questions that we can kind of ponder and reflect on. You can take a picture of that if you'd like and talk about it during lunch today. The first one is this, what habits and disciplines are currently shaping your spiritual character? Secondly, are you surrounding yourself with people of character and courage you can learn from, be inspired by? And finally, what is the next courageous conversation you need to have or step you need to take to move in the direction of honoring God. And, and my men's group that I've been meeting with for years, we, we often come back to that, that third question because it always seems like there's a next courageous conversation to have. It seems like those never run out, right? We get to these places in life, whether it's a broken relationship, a 
uh, a new venture, a new idea or ministry that God has put on, on our hearts, uh, a, a person that needs to know Christ, a person that needs refreshment, encouragement in life, that requires courage for us to go and to, to broach that uncomfortable topic with someone. Sometimes the next courageous conversation we need to have is with ourselves, <laughs> right? With our own dysfunction, our own doubt, our own insecurities. We need to have a conversation where we remind ourselves what's true about us and what God has called us to do and to be. So I thought it was fascinating as we close this series out, just the link between character and courage, right? You can't have one without the other. And if you have character, you will be courageous. When you get one, you get them both. Right? Because that's who God is and God is in you. So if your character is becoming more like Jesus, then you are becoming more courageous. Whether you're acting like it or not. <laughs> so as we take communion today, our ushers will dismiss you guys and you'll come up and you can tear off the bread and dip it in the cup. Um, and take it and go back to your seat. If you need gluten-free, it'll be down on this left side. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this space now that we have to, to kind of ponder some heroes in our faith like Daniel who had so much at stake and honestly could have easily just kind of fudged it a little just for a while, 30 days, and then he could go right back to being the faithful guy that he was. And he could still get all of the power and influence and all the things of this world, the bright, shiny things that seem so important, so appealing. But his integrity wouldn't allow him to take any shortcuts. Gosh, man, I want to be a person like that. I want to be a person that, that others can just count on, that they know what Bob's going to be doing tomorrow and the next day and the day after that because they have observed my life and they know what's preeminent, what matters most to me. God, help us to, to be people of character. Help us to begin putting things in place, spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines that will shape us into your image, that will help us to confront our inconsistencies I pray, God, that we will have the courage to surround ourselves with people who are wise, who are a little farther down the road, who we know are going to press in to our soft places, <laughs> our cracks, and call those things out, but also lovingly help fill them in <laughs> with truth, with integrity. And God, if there's something on our heart today that's kind of that next courageous conversation, that next courageous step that we need to take, I pray that you would give us courage to do it soon. <laughs> that we would go and tell someone that can hold us accountable to that and say, pray for me, encourage me, check back in with me. I'm going to need help going in this direction to be a person of courage. Lord, because all these little things that we're doing now, God, are preparing us for a moment we don't even know is going to come, when it's going to come, the, the level at which we're going to have to have courage, God. We're always preparing ourselves for that. So speak to our hearts now as we just get silent before you.